Chapter One of the Marie Antoinette Romances, Volume Four, Taking the Bastille. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. The Son of Gilbert. It was a winter night, and the ground around Paris was covered with snow although the flakes had ceased to fall since some hours. Spite of the cold and the darkness, a young man, wrapped in a mantle so voluminous as to hide a babe in his arms, strode over the white fields of the town of Villers-Cotterêt. In the woods, eighteen leagues from the capital, which he had reached by the stagecoach towards a hamlet called Herremont. His assured steps seemed to indicate that he had previously gone this road. Soon above him streaked the leafless boughs upon the gray sky. The sharp air, the odor of the oaks, the icicles and beads on the tips of branches, all appealed to the poetry in the wanderer. Through the clumps he looked for the village spire and the blue smoke of the chimneys, filtering from the cottages through the natural trellis of the limbs. It was dawn when he crossed a brook, bordered with yellow crests and frozen vines, and at the first hovel asked for the laborer's boy to take him to Madeleine Petou's home. Mute and attentive, not so dull as most of their kind, the children sprang up and, staring at the stranger, led him by the hand to a rather large and good-looking cottage, on the bank of the rivulet running by most of the dwellings. A plank served as a bridge. "'There,' said one of the guides, nodding his head toward it, Gilbert gave them a coin, which made their eyes open still more widely, and crossed the board to the door which he pushed open, while the children, taking one another's hand, stared with all their might at the handsome gentleman in a brown cloth coat, buckled shoes, and large cloak, who wanted to find Madeleine Petou. Apart from them, Gilbert, for such was the young man's name, simply so, for he had no other, saw no living things. Herremont was the deserted village he was seeking. As soon as the door was open, his sight was struck by a scene full of charm. For almost anybody, and particularly for a young philosopher like our Romer, a robust peasant woman was suckling a baby, while another child, a sturdy boy of four or five, was saying a prayer in a loud voice. In the chimney corner, near a window, or rather a hole in the wall in which was stuck a pane of glass, Another woman, going on for thirty-five or six, was spinning with a stool under her feet and a fat poodle on an end of this stool. Catching sight of the visitor, the dog barked in a civil and hospitable manner, just to show that he had not been caught napping. The praying boy turned, cutting the devotional phrase in two, and both females uttered an exclamation between joy and surprise. "'I greet you, good Mother Madeline.' said Gilbert with a smile. "'The gentleman has my name,' she cried out with a start. "'As you notice, but please do not interrupt me. Instead of one babe at the breast, you are to have the pair.' In the rude country-made crib he laid his burden, a little boy. "'What a pretty darling!' ejaculated the spinner. "'Quite a dear!' "'Yes, Aunt Angelique,' said Madeleine. 
your sister inquired the visitor pointing to the spinner who was also a spinster no my man's sister yes my auntie my aunt jalique bumbled the boy striking into the talk without being asked be quiet ange rebuked his mother you are interrupting the gentleman my business is very plain good woman the child you see is son of one of my master's farmers the farmer being ruined my master his godfather once him brought up in the country to become a good workman hale and with good manners will you undertake this rearing but master born yesterday and never nursed went on gilbert besides this is the nursling which master niquet the lawyer at villers cotterets spoke to you about madeleine instantly seized the babe and supplied it with the nourishment it craved with a generous impetuosity deeply affecting the young man i have not been misled said he you are a good woman in my master's name i confide the child to you i see that he will fare well here and i trust he will bring into this cabin a dream of happiness together with his own how much does master niquet pay you for his children twelve livres a month sir but he is rich and he adds a few pieces for sugar and toys mother madeleine replied gilbert proudly this child will bring you twenty livres a month or two hundred and forty a year lord bless us i thank you kindly master said the peasant and here is the first year's money down on the nail went on gilbert placing ten fine gold coins on the table which made the two women open their eyes and little ange Bitou stretched out his devastating hand but if the little thing should not live queried the nurse timidly it would be a great blow such a misfortune as seldom happens responded the gentleman here is the hire settled are you satisfied oh yes sir let us now pass to the future payments then we are to keep the child probably and be parents to it said gilbert in a stifled voice and losing color dear dear is he an outcast gilbert had not expected such feeling and questions but he recovered from the emotion i did not tell you the whole truth he said the poor father died on the shock of hearing that his wife gave up her life in bearing him the child the women wrung their hands with sympathy so that the child can reckon on no love from his parents continued gilbert breathing painfully at this point in tramped daddy pitou with a calm and jolly manner he was one of those round and honest characters overflowing with health and goodwill such as groitz paints in his natural domestic pictures a few words showed him how matters stood 
out of good nature he understood things even those beyond his comprehension gilbert made it clear that the keep money would be paid until the boy was a man and able to live alone with his mind and arm all right said pitou i rather think we shall take to the kid though he is a tiny creature look at that said the women together he thinks it a little dear just like us i should like you to come over to massinicase where i will leave the money required so that you may be content and the child happy gilbert took leave of the women bent over the cradle in which the newcomer had ousted the rightful heir he wore a somber air you look a little like me he muttered for you have the aspect of your proud mother the aristocratic andrea daughter of baron tavernay the trait broke his heart he pressed his nails into his flesh to keep down the tears flowing from his aching breast he left the kiss timid and tremulous on the babe's fresh cheek and tottered out he gave half a louis to little ange who was stumbling between his legs and shook hands with the women who thought it in honor so many emotions oppressed the father of eighteen years that little more would have prostrated him pale and nervous his brain was spinning let us be off he said to pitou waiting on the sill master called out madeline from the threshold his name what did you say his name is call him gilbert replied the young man with manly pride the business at the notary's was quickly done money was banked for the child's keep and bringing up as became a farmhand's offspring for fifteen years education and training was to be given him and the balance was to be devoted to fitting him in a trade or buying a plot of land at his eighteenth year some two thousand livres were to be paid the nurse and her husband who would have the other sum yearly from the intermediary as a reward Niquet was to have the interest of the funds ten years passed and the Bitou woman, who had lost her husband while Ange was hardly able to remember him, felt herself dying. Three years before she had seen Gilbert, returned a man of twenty-seven, stiff, dogmatic of speech, cold at the outset. But his mask of ice thawed when he saw his son again, hearty, smiling and strong, brought up as he had planned. He shook the good widow's hand and said, "'Rely on me, if ever in need.' He took the child away, went to see the tomb of Rousseau, the philosopher, musician and poet, and returned to villers Cotterets. Seduced by the good air and the praise of the Abbe Fortier's school for youth, he left Gilbert at that institution. He had thought highly of the tutor's philosophical mien, for philosophy was a great power at this revolutionary period and had glided into the bosom of the church he left him his address and departed for paris ange pitou's mother knew these particulars at her dying hour she remembered the pledge of gilbert to be the friend at need 
it was a bright light. No doubt Providence had brought him to Herremont to provide poor Pitou with more than he lost in losing life and family. Not able to write, she sent for the parish priest, who wrote a letter for her, and this was given to Abbe Fortier, to be sent off by the post. It was time, for she died next day. End of chapter 1 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chapter 2 of Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ange Pitou. Ange was too young to feel the whole extent of his loss, but he divined that the angel of the hearth had vanished. And when the body was taken to the churchyard and interred, he sat down by the grave and replied to all pleadings for him to come away by saying that Mama Madeleine was there, that he never had left her, and he would stay beside her now. It was there that Dr. Gilbert, for Ange Pitou's future guardian was a physician, found him when he hastened to Herremont on receiving the dying mother's appeal. Ange was very young when thus he saw the doctor for the first time. But we know, youth can feel deep impressions, leaving everlasting memories. The previous passing of the young man of mystery through the cottage had impressed its trace. He had left welfare with the boy. Every time Ange heard his mother pronounce the benefactor's name, it had been almost with worship. Finally, when he appeared, grown up, adorned with the title of physician, joining to the past boons the future promises, Pitou had judged by his mother's gratitude that he ought himself be grateful. The poor lad, without clearly knowing what he was saying, faltered words of eternal remembrance and profound thanks, such as he had heard his mother use. Therefore, as soon as he perceived the doctor coming among the grassy graves and broken crosses, he understood that he came at his mother's appeal, and he could not say no to him as to the others. He made him no resistance except to turn his head to look backwards, as Dr. Gilbert grasped his hand and led him from the cemetery. A stylish cab was at the gates, into which the doctor made the poor boy step, and he was taken to the town tailor's, where he was fitted with clothes. They were made too large so that he would grow up to them. At the rate our hero grew, this would not take long. Thus equipped, Ange was walked in a quarter of the town called Pleur, where Pitou's pace slackened. He recalled this as being the abode of his Aunt Angelique, of whom he had preserved an appalling memory. Indeed, the old maid had no attractions for a boy who cherished true motherly affections. She was nearly sixty by this period, 
the minute practice of religion had brutalized her, and mistaken piety had twisted all sweet, merciful, and humane feelings, so that she cultivated in their stead a natural dose of greedy intelligence, augmented daily by her association with all the prudes. She did not precisely live on public charity, but besides the sale of linen thread hand-spun, and letting out chairs in the church, she received from kindly souls ensnared by her devout posturings, petty coin which she converted into silver and that into gold. Nobody suspected she accumulated them, and she stuffed the gold in the cushion and frame of an old armchair in which she sat at work. It was to this venerable relative's dwelling that Gilbert led little Pitou. We might say big Pitou, for he was too large for his age. Miss Rose, Angelique, Pitou, as they came up, was in a merry humor as she had just sent another gold piece to go and keep company with the rest of her hoard. She was going around her seat of revenue when the doctor and his ward appeared at the door, and she had to welcome the relic of her family. The interview would have been affecting if it had not been so grotesque. The doctor, a man of keen observation and physiognomist, read the character of the hypocritical old maid at a glance. With her long nose, thin lips, and small bright eyes, she collected in one person cupidity, selfishness, and hypocrisy. As soon as the stranger stated his little text on the duty of aunts to take care of their nieces and nephews, she turned sour, and replied that, whatever her love for her poor sister, and her interest in her dear little nephew, the slenderness of her means did not permit her, though she was godmother as well as aunt, to add to her expenses. "'It is this way, Master Gilbert. This would run me into six cents a day extra, for that a lubberly boy would eat a pound of bread.' Ange screwed up his face, for he could tuck away a pound and a half at breakfast alone. "'This is saying nothing for his washing, for he is a dirty little chap.' Considering that Ange was a regular gypsy for burrowing after moles and climbing trees, this was true enough. But it is fair to say that he tore his clothes worse than he soiled them. "'Fee,' said Dr. Gilbert, do you, who understand the Christian virtues so well, make such close calculations about a nephew and an orphan? Then the keeping of his clothes in repair, went on the miser, recalling the quantity of patches she had seen sewn by her sister on the knees and seat of Master Ange's pants. In short, said the doctor, you refuse to shelter your nephew in your house? The orphan boy who will have to beg for alms at the doors of others? Mean as she was, she felt the disgrace befalling her as if she drove her next of kin to this step. No, I will take charge of him, she said. Good, said the doctor, delighted to find a moist spot in this desert. I will recommend him to the Augustan Monastery, and have them take him as a boy of all work. The doctor was a philosopher we have mentioned, 
which means that he was the opponent of all the churchmen. He resolved to tear this recruit from the enemy with all the warmth that the Augustines would have shown to deprive him of a disciple. "'Well,' he rejoined, sticking his hands in his deepest pocket, "'since you are in so hard a position, dear Miss Angelique, that you are forced to send your nephew into beggary, I will find somebody else to take him, and the sum I am going to set aside for his maintenance. I am obliged to return to America.' Meanwhile, I must apprentice the boy to some craft, which he can choose for himself. In my absence he will grow up, and then we will see what to make of him. Kiss your good aunt good-bye, and let us try our luck elsewhere," concluded the doctor. He had barely finished before Pitou rushed into his aunt's long, bony arms to exchange the hug which he wanted to be in token of eternal separation. But the mention of a sum of money and Gilbert's movements of putting his hand in his pocket for cash with the clink of silver set the warmth of greed up from her old heart. "'Lord, doctor, do not you know that nobody in all the wide world can love this poor lone, lorn thing like his own dear fond auntie?' Entwining him with her long arms, she imprinted on his cheeks a couple of kisses so sour that they made his hair stand on end and then curl with a shriveling up. "'Just what I thought, but still you are too poor to do the proper thing.' "'Nay, good Master Gilbert,' said the pious dame, "'forget not that we have the father of the fatherless above, and that he has promised that a swallow shall not be sold for a penny without its being spent for the orphan's share. The text may be so, but it nowhere says that the orphan is to be bound out as a servant. I am afraid to do with Ange as I suggested. It would be too dear for your slight resources. But with the sum you spoke of in your pocket, said the old devotee, with her eyes riveted on the place whence the chink had sounded. I would give it assuredly, but only on condition that the boy should be brought up to some livelihood. I promise that, cried Aunt Angelique. I vow it, as true as the sheep are tempered for the storm-wind. And she raised her skeleton hand to heaven. Well, replied Gilbert, drawing out a bag rounded with coin. I am ready to deposit the funds, but you must sign a contract at lawyer Niquet's. Niquet was her own businessman, and she raised no objections. A bargain was made for five years. Ange Pertou was to be brought up to some trade and boarded, etc., for two hundred livres to his aunt a year. The doctor paid down the money. Next day he quitted Villers, after arranging matters with a farmer on some property of his, named Billet, whose acquaintance we shall make in good time. Miss Pitou, pouncing on the first payment in advance of the maintenance fund, buried eight bright gold pieces in her armchair bottom. With eight livres over, she put the small change, waiting to make up the amount of a gold piece to be placed, when converted, in the peculiar savings bank. We notice the scant sympathy Ange felt for his aunt. 
he had foreseen the sorrow disappointment and tribulations awaiting him under her roof in the first place as soon as the doctor had turned his back there was no longer a question about his learning any trade when the good notary made a remark on this agreement the tender aunt rejoined that her nephew was too delicate to be put out to work the lawyer had admired his client's sensitive heart and deferred the apprenticeship question for another year he was only twelve so that it would not waste much valuable time while his aunt was ruminating how to evade the contract ange resumed his truant life in the woods as led at Haramont. it was the same woods and hence the same life as soon as he had the best spots located for bird-catching he made some bird lime and having a four-pound loaf under his arm he went off into the forest for the whole day he had foreseen a storm when he came back at nightfall but he expected to parry it with the proceeds of his skill he had not presaged how the tempest would fall in fact aunt angelique had ambushed herself behind the door to deal him a cuff as he crept in which he recognized as inflicted by her hard hand happily he had a hard head too and though the blow staggered him he had the sense left to hold out as a peace-offering and buckler the talisman he had prepared it was a bunch of two dozen small birds what is this challenged his aunt continuing to grumble for form's sake but opening her eyes more widely than her mouth birds you see good aunt angelique replied pitou as she grabbed the lot good to eat questioned the old maid who was greedy in all her senses of the word redbreasts and larks i should bet they are good to eat but they are better to sell they command a good price in the market where did you steal them you little rogue steal they ain't stolen i took em at the pool in the woods a fellow has only to set up limed twigs anywhere round the water and the silly birds get tangled then you run up wring their necks and there you have them lime do you catch birds with lime queried angelique not mortar lime bless your innocence but bird lime it is made by boiling down holly sap i understand but where did you get the money to buy holly sap i should be a saphead to buy that one makes it ah then these birds are to be had for the picking up yes any day but not every day for of course you cannot catch on tuesday those you caught on monday very true returned the aunt amazed at the brightness her nephew was for once displaying you are right this unheard-of approval delighted the boy but on the days when you ought not to go to the pools you go elsewhere when you are not catching birds you snare hares you can eat them too and sell the skins for two cents angelique stared at her nephew who was coming out as a financier oh i can do the selling of course just as mother madeline did for pitou had never supposed he was to enjoy the fruit of his hunting 
when will you go snaring hares she asked eagerly i will go snaring hares and rabbits when i have wire for snares all right make it oh i cannot do that patou said scratching his head i must buy that at the store but i can weave the springes what does it cost i can make a couple of dozen with four cents worth and it ought to catch half a dozen bunnies and the snares are used over and over again unless the gamekeeper sees them here are four cents said aunt angelique go and buy wire and get the rabbits to-morrow wire was cheaper in the town than at the village so that ange got material for twenty-four snares for three cents he brought the odd copper to his aunt who was touched by his honesty for an instant she felt like giving him the scent but unfortunately for ange it had been flattened by a hammer and might be passed in the dusk for a two-sou piece she thought it wicked to squander a piece that might bring a hundred per cent and she popped it into her pouch Patou made the snares, and in the morning asked mysteriously for a bag. In it she put the bread and cheese for his meals, and away he went to his hunting-ground. Meanwhile she plucked the robins intended for their dinner. She took a brace of larks to Abbe Fortier, and two brace to the Golden Ball innkeeper who paid her three cents for them, and ordered as many as she could supply at that rate. She went home beaming. The blessing of heaven had entered the house with Ange Batou. They are quite right, who say a good action is never thrown away. She observed as she munched the robins, as fat as ortolans and delicate as becavicois. At dark in walked Ange, with the rounded-out bag on his shoulders. Aunt Angelique received him on the threshold, but not with a slap. Here I am, with my bag said he with the calmness of having well spent his day and what have you in the bag cried the aunt stretching out her hand in sharp curiosity beech mast replied pitou it is this way if daddy lajeunus the gamekeeper saw me rambling without the bag he would want to know what i was looking for and he would feel suspicion but when he challenged me with the bag i just answered him i am gathering beech mast father it is not forbidden to gather mast is it and not being forbidden he could not do anything so he said nothing except you have a good aunt patou give her my compliments so you have been collecting mast instead of catching rabbits cried aunt angelique angrily no no i laid my snares under cover of mast-gathering the old donkey saw me doing that and thought it right but the game said the woman bent on the first principle the moon will be up at twelve and i will go and see how many i have snared you will go into the woods at midnight why not what is there to be afraid of the woman was as amazed at ange's courage as at the breadth of his speculations but brought up in the woods 
Ange was not to be scared at what terrifies the town boy. So at midnight he set out, skirting the cemetery wall, for the innocent lad, never in his ideas offending anybody, had no more fear of the dead than of the living. The only person he dreaded was La Genuse. So he made a turn round his house and stopped to imitate the barking of a dog so naturally that the gamekeeper's basset, Snorer, deceived by the provocation, replied with a full throat and came to the door to sniff the air. Pitou ran on, chuckling, for if Snorer were home his master was surely asleep there, as the man and the dog were inseparable. In the snares two rabbits had been strangled. Patou stuffed them into the pockets of a coat, made too long for him and now too small. Greed kept the ant awake, though she had lain down. She had reckoned on two brace of game. "'Only a pair,' said Pitou. "'It is not my fault that I have not done better, but these are the cunningest rabbits for miles around.' Next day Pitou renewed his enterprises and had the luck to catch three rabbits— Two went to the tavern, and one to Abbe Fortier, who recommended Aunt Angelique to the benevolent of the town. Thus things went on for three or four months. The woman enchanted, and Ange, thinking life endurable, except for his mother's loss. Matters were such as at Haramal. He passed his time in rural pleasures. But an unexpected circumstance broke the jar of illusion of the prude and stopped the nephew's trapping. A letter from Dr. Gilbert arrived from New York. He had not forgotten his little ward on landing, but asked Master Niquet if his instructions had been followed, and if young Pitou were learning the means to make his own living. It was a pinch, for there was no denying that Ange was in first-rate health. He was tall and lank, but so are hickory saplings, and nobody doubts their strength and elasticity. The aunt asked a week to put in her reply. It was miserable for both. Pitou asked no better career than he was leading. But it was quiet at the time. Not only did the cold weather drive the birds away, but the snow fell, and, as it would retain footprints, he dared not go into the woods to lay traps and snares. During the week the old maid's claws grew. She made the stripling so wretched that he was ready to take up any trade rather than be her butt any longer. Suddenly a sublime idea sprouted in her cruelly tormented brain, where peace reigned again. Father Fortier had two purses for poor students attached to his school, out of the bounty of the Duke of Orléans. Angelique resolved to beg him to enter Ange for one of them. This would cost the teacher nothing, and to say nothing of the game on which the woman had been nourishing the doctor for half a year, he owed something to the church seat letter. Indeed, Ange was received without fee by the schoolmaster. The old girl was delighted, for it was the school of the district where Dr. Gilbert's son was educated. He paid fifty livres, and Ange got in for nothing— but nobody was to let Sebastian Gilbert or any others know that. Whether they guessed this or not, Ange was received by his schoolfellows with that sweet spirit of brotherhood born among children and perpetuated among the grown-ups. In other words, with hooting and teasing. But when three or four of the budding tyrants made the acquaintance of Pitou's enormous fist, 
and were trodden under his even more enormous foot, respect began to be diffused. He would have had a life a shade less worried than when under Angelique's wing, but Father Fortier, in soliciting little children to come unto him, forgot to warn them that the hands he held out were armed with the Latin rudiments and birch rods. Little did the aunt care whether the information was flogged or insinuated mentally into her nephew. She basked in the golden ray from dreamland that in three years Ange would pass the examination and be sent to college with the Orléans purse. Then would he become a priest, when he would, of course, make his aunt his housekeeper. One day a rough awakening came to this delusion. Ange crawled into the house as if shod in lead. "'What is the matter?' cried Aunt Gelique, who had never seen a more piteous mien. "'Are you hungry?' "'No,' replied Petou dolefully. The hearer was uneasy, for illness is a cause of alarmed good mothers and bad godmothers as it forces expenses. "'It is a great misfortune.' Pitou blubbered. "'Father Fortier sends me home from school. So no more studies, no examination, no purse, no college.' His sobs changed into howls, while the woman stared at him to try to read in his soul the reason for this expulsion. "'I suppose you have been playing truant again,' she said. "'I hear that you are always roaming round Farmer Billet's place "'to catch a sight of his daughter Catherine. "'Fee! Fee! Very pretty conduct in a future priest!' Ange shook his head. "'You lie!' shrieked the old maid, with her anger rising with the growing certainty "'that it was a serious scrape.' last sunday you were again seen rambling in lover's walk with kate billet it was she who fibbed but she was one who believed the end justified the means and a whale truth might be caught by throwing out a tub lie oh no they could not have seen me there cried ange for we were out by the orange gardens there you wretch you see, you were with her. But this is not a matter that Miss Belay is concerned in, ventured Ange, blushing like the overgrown boy of sixteen that he was. Yes, call her Miss to pretend you have any respect for her. The flirt, the jilt, the mincing minx. I will tell her father confessor how she is carrying on. "'But I take my Bible oath that she is not a flirt.' "'You defend her when you need all the excuses you can rake up for yourself. "'This is going on fine. "'What is the world coming to when children of sixteen are walking arm in arm under the shade trees?' "'But, aunt, you are a way out. "'Catherine will not let me arm her.' She keeps me off at arm's length. You see how you break down your own denials. You are calling her Catherine Plain now. Oh, why not Kate or Kitty 
or some such silly nickname which you use in your iniquitous familiarity she drives you away to have you come nearer they all do do they there i never thought of that exclaimed the swain suddenly enlightened ah you will have something else to think of and she said the old prude i will manage all this i will ask father fortier to lock you up on bread and water for a fortnight and have her put in a nunnery if she cannot moderate her fancy for you she spoke so emphatically that Petou was frightened you are altogether wrong my good aunt pleaded he clasping his hands miss catherine has nothing to do with my misfortune impurity is the mother of all the vices returned angelique sententiously but impurity has nothing to do with my being turned out of school objected the youth the teacher put me out because i made too many barbarisms and solecisms which prevent me of having any chance to win that purse what will become of you then blessed if i know wailed petou who had never looked upon priesthood with aunt gelique as housekeeper as paradise on earth let come what providence pleases he sighed lamentably raising his eyes providence do you call it i see you have got hold of these new-fangled ideas about philosophy that cannot be aunt for i cannot go into philosophy till i have passed rhetoric and i am only in the third course joke away sneered the old maid to whom the school jargon was greek i speak of the philosophy of these philosophers not what a pious man like the priest would allow in his holy house you are a serpent and you have been gnawing a file of the newspapers in which these dreadful writers insult king and queen and the church he is lost when aunt angelique said her ward was lost she meant that she was ruined the danger was imminent she took the sublime resolution to run to father fortier's for explanation and above all to try to patch up the breach end of chapter two recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter three of taking the bastille by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain a revolutionary farmer the departure of his aunt gave petou a quarter of an hour in tranquillity he wanted to utilize it he gathered the crumbs of his aunt's meal to feed his lizards he was a naturalist who was never without pets caught some flies for his ants and frogs and opened the cupboard and bread-box to get a supply of food for himself appetite had come to him with the lonesomeness his preparations made for a feast he went back to the doorway so as not to be surprised by the woman's return while he was watching a pretty maid passed the end of the street riding on the crupper of a horse laden with two panniers 
one was filled with pigeons, the other with pullets. This was Catherine Billet, who smiled on Pitou and stopped on seeing him. According to his habit, he turned red as a beet. With gaping mouth, he glared, we mean, admired Kate Billet, the last expression of feminine beauty to him. She looked up and down the street, nodded to her worshipper, and kept on in her way, Pitou trembling with delight as he nodded back. Absorbed in his contemplation, he did not perceive his relative on the return from Fortier's. Suddenly she grabbed his hand while turning pale with anger. Abruptly roused from his bright dream by the electric shock always caused by Aunt Angelique's grasp, the youth wheeled and saw with horror that she was holding up his hand, which was, in turn, holding half a loaf with two most liberal smears of butter and another of white cheese applied to it. The woman yelled with fury, and Pitou groaned with fright. She raised her other claw-like hand, and he lowered his head. She darted for the broom, and the other dropped the food and took to his heels without any farewell speech. Those two hearts knew one another, and understood that they could not get on together any more. Angelique bounced indoors and locked with a double turn of the key. The grating sound seemed a renewal of the tempest to the fugitive who put on the pace. The result was an event the aunt was as far from expecting as the young man himself. Running as though all the fiends from below were at his heels, Pitou was soon beyond the town bounds. On turning the burial-ground wall, he bunked up against a horse. "'Good gracious!' cried a sweet voice well known to the flyer. "'Wherever are you racing so, Master Ange? "'You nearly made Yonker take the bit in his teeth "'with the scare you gave us.' "'Oh, Miss Catherine, what a misfortune is on me,' "'replied Pitou, wide of the question. "'You alarm me,' said the girl, pulling up in the midway. "'What is wrong?' "'I cannot be a priest.' returned the young fellow as if revealing a world of iniquities. "'You won't?' said the maid, roaring with laughter, instead of throwing up her hands as Pitou expected. "'Become a soldier, then. You must not make a fuss over such a trifle. Really, I thought your aunt had kicked the bucket.' "'It is much the same thing, for she has kicked me out.' "'Lord, no!' "'For you have not the pleasure of mourning for her,' observed Catherine Billet, laughing more heartily than before, which scandalized the nephew. "'You are a lucky one to be able to laugh like that, and it proves you have a merry heart, and the sorrows of others make no impression on you.' "'Who tells you that I should not feel for you if you met a real grief?' "'Real?' when I have not a feather to fly with. "'All for the best,' returned the peasant girl. "'But how about eating?' retorted Pitou. "'A fellow must eat, and I am always sharp-set.' "'Don't you like to work?' "'What am I to work at?' whined he. "'My aunt and Father Fortier have repeated a hundred times that I am good for nothing.' 
if i had been bound prentice to a wheelwright or a carpenter instead of their trying to make a priest of me upon my faith miss catherine a curse is on me said he with a wave of the hand in desperation alack sighed the girl who knew like everybody the orphan's melancholy tale there is truth in what you say my poor Batou, but there is one thing you might do do tell me what that is cried the youth jumping toward the coming suggestion as a drowning man leaps for a twig of willow you have a guardian in dr gilbert whose son is your schoolfellow i should rather think he was and by the same token i have taken many floggings for him why not apply to his father who certainly will not shake you off that would be all right if i knew where to address him but your father may know as he farms some of his land i know that he sends some of the rent to america and banks the other part here at a notary's america is a far cry moaned Pitou. what would you start for america exclaimed the maid almost frightened at his courage me sakes no never france is good enough for me if i could get enough to eat and drink very well said she falling into silence which lasted some time the lad was plunged into a thoughtful mood which would have much puzzled teacher fortier the logical man starting from obscurity the reverie brightened and then grew confused again like lightning yonker had started in again for the walk home and Pitou, with a hand on one basket trudged on beside it as dreamy as her neighbor catherine let the bridle drop with no fear about being run away with there were no monsters on the highway and yonker bore no resemblance to the fabulous hippogriffs the walker stopped mechanically when the animal did which was at the farm hello is this you Pitou? challenged a strong-shouldered man proudly stationed before a drinking pool where his horse was swilling it is me master billet he's had another mishap said the maid jumping off the horse without any heed as to showing her ankles his aunt has sent him packing what has he done to worry the old bigot this time queried the farmer it appears that i am not good enough in greek said the scholar who was lying for it was latin he was the bungler at what do you want to be good at greek for asked the broad-shouldered man to explain theocritus and read the iliad these are useful when you want to be a priest trash said billet do you need greek and latin do i know my own language can i read or write but this does not prevent me from ploughing sowing and reaping but you master billet are a cultivator and not a priest agricole says virgil do not you think a farmer is on a level with a learned clerk you cussed choir boy 
particularly when the agricola has a hundred acres of tilled land in the sun and a thousand louis in the shade i have always been told that a priest leads the happiest life though i grant added pitou smiling most amiably i do not believe all i hear you are right my boy by a blamed sight you see i can make rhymes if i like to try it strikes me that you have the makings in you of something better than a scholard and that is a deuced lucky thing that you try something else mainly at the present time as a farmer i know which way the wind blows and it is rough for priests so then as you are an honest lad and learned here pitou bowed at being so styled for the first time you can get along without the black gown catherine who was setting the chickens and pigeons on the ground was listening with interest to the dialogue it looks hard to win a livelihood said the lad what do you know how to do i can make bird-lime and snare game i can mock the birds songs hey miss kate he can whistle like a blackbird but whistling is not a trade commented billet just what i say to myself by jingo oh you can swear that is a manly accomplishment anyhow oh did i i beg your pardon farmer don't mention it said the rustic i rip out myself sometimes thunder and blazes he roared to his horse can't you be quiet these devilish percherons must always be grazing and jerking are you lazy he continued to the lad i don't know i have never worked at anything but learning greek and latin and they do not tempt me much a good job that shows that you are not such a fool as i took you for said billet his hearer opened his eyes immeasurably this was the first time he had heard this order of ideas subversive of all the theories set up for him previously i mean are you easily tired out bless you i can go ten leagues and never feel it good we are getting on we might train you a trifle lower and make some money on you as a runner train me lower said pitou looking at his slender figure bony arms and stilt-like legs i fancy i am thin now as it is in fact you are a treasure my friend replied the yeoman bursting into laughter pitou was stepping from one surprise to another never had he been esteemed so highly in short how are you at work don't know for i never have worked the girl laughed but her father took the matter seriously these rogues of larned folk he broke forth shaking his fist at the town look at them training up the youth in the way they should not go in laziness and idleness 
What good is such a sluggard to his brothers, I want to know? Not much, said Pitou. Luckily I have no brothers. By brothers, I mean all mankind, continued the farmer. Are not all men brothers, eh? The scripture says so. And equals, proceeded the other. That is another matter, said the younger man. If I had been the equal of Father Fortier, I guess he would not have given me the whip so often. If I were the equal of my aunt, she would not have driven me from home. I tell you that all men are brothers, and we shall soon prove this to the tyrants, said Billet. I will take you into my house to prove it. You will? But just think, I eat three pounds of bread a day with butter and cheese to boot. Pooh, I see you will not be dear to feed, said the farmer. We will keep you. Have you nothing else to ask, father, Pitou? inquired Catherine. Nothing, miss. What did you come along for? just to keep you company well you are gallant and i accept the compliment for what it is worth said the girl but you came to ask news about your guardian Pitou. so i did that is funny i forgot it you want to speak about our worthy dr gilbert said the farmer with a tone indicating the degree of deep consideration in which he held his landlord. "'Just so,' answered Pitou. "'But I am not in need now, since you house me. I can tranquilly wait till he returns from America.' "'You will not have to wait long, for he has returned.' "'You don't say when?' "'I cannot exactly say, but—' He was at Haver a week ago, for I have a parcel in my saddlebags that comes from him, and was handed to me at Villers Cotterets, and here it is. How do you know it is from him? Because there is a letter in it. Excuse me, Daddy, interrupted Catherine, but you boast that you cannot read. So I do. I want folks to say there is old farmer Belay, who owes nothing to nobody, not even the schoolmaster, for he has made himself all alone. I did not read the letter, but the rural constabulary quartermaster whom I met there. What does he say? That he still is content with you? Judge for yourself. Out of a leather wallet he took a letter, which he held to his daughter, who read. My dear friend Billet, I arrived from America where I found a people richer, greater, and happier than ours. This arises from their being free, while we are not. But we are marching toward this new era, and all must labor for the light to come. I know your principles, friend Billet, and your influence on the farmers, your neighbors, and all the honest population of toilers and hands whom you lead, not like a king, but a father. 
teach them the principles of devotion and brotherhood i know you cherish philosophy is universal all men ought to read their rights and duties by its light i send you a little book in which these rights and duties are set forth it is my work though my name is not on the title page propagate these principles those of universal equality get them read in the winter evenings reading is the food of the mind as bread is that for the body one of these days i shall see you and tell you about a new kind of farming practiced in the united states it consists in the landlord and tenant working on shares of the crop it appears to me more according to the laws of primitive society and to the love of god greeting and brotherly feeling honor gilbert citizen of philadelphia this letter is nicely written observed petou i warrant it is said billet yes father dear but i doubt the quartermaster will be of your opinion because this not only will get dr gilbert into trouble but you too pooh you are always scary sneered the farmer this does not hinder me having the book and we have got something for you to do petou you shall read me this in the evenings but in the daytime tend to sheep and cows let us have a squint at the book he took out one of those sewn pamphlets in a red cover issued in great quantity in those days with or without permission of the authorities in the latter case the author ran great risk of being sent to prison read us the title petou till we have a peep at the book inside the rest afterwards the boy read on the first page these words which usage has made vague and meaningless lately but at that epoch they had a deep effect on all hearts on the independence of man and the freedom of nations what do you say to that my lad cried the farmer why it seems to me that independence and freedom are much of a muchness my guardian would be whipped out of the class by father fortier for being guilty of a pleonasm pleonasm or not this book is the work of a real man rejoined the other never mind father said catherine with the admirable instinct of womankind i beg you to hide the book it will get you into some bad scrape i tremble merely to look at it why should it do me any harm when it has not brought it on the writer how do you know that father this letter was written a week ago and took all that time to arrive from haver but i had a letter this morning from sebastian gilbert at paris who sends his love to his foster brother i forgot that and he has been three days without his father meeting him there she is right said petou this delay is alarming hold your tongue you timid creature and let us read the doctor's treatise said the farmer it will not only make you learned but manly 
Pitou stuck the book under his arm with so solemn a movement that it completed the winning of his protector's heart. "'Have you had your dinner?' asked he. "'No, sir,' replied the youth. "'He was eating when he was driven from home,' said the girl. "'Well, you go in and ask Mother Belay for the usual rations, and tomorrow we will set you regularly to work.' With an eloquent look, the orphan thanked him and, conducted by Catherine, he entered the kitchen, governed by the absolute rule of Mother Billet. End of chapter 3 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 4 of Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Long legs are good for running, if not for dancing. Mistress Belay was a fat woman who honored her husband, delighted in her daughter, and fed her field hands as no other housewife did for miles around. So there was a rush to be employed at Belay's. Pitou appreciated his luck at the full value when he saw the golden loaf placed at his elbow, the pot of cider set on his right, and the chunk of mild-cured bacon before him. Since he lost his mother, five years before, the orphan had never enjoyed such cheer even on a feast-day. He remembered, too, that his new duties of Nethert and Shepherd had been fulfilled by gods and demigods. Besides, Mrs. Billet had the management of the kine, and orders were not harsh from Catherine's mouth. "'You shall stay here,' said she. "'I have made father understand that you are good for a heap of things. For instance, you can keep the accounts. Well, I know the four rules of arithmetic, said Patou proudly. You are one ahead of me. Here you stay. I am glad, for I could not live afar from you. Oh, I beg pardon, but that came from my heart. I do not bear you ill will for that, said Catherine. It is not your fault if you like us here. Poor lambs, they say so much in so few words. So Pitou did much of Catherine's work, and she had more time to make pretty caps and titivate herself up, to use her mother's words. I think you look prettier without a cap on, he remarked. You may, but your taste is not the rule. I cannot go over to the town and dance without a cap on. That is all very well for fine ladies, who have the right to go bareheaded and wear powder on the hair. You beat them all without powder. Compliments again. Did you learn to make them at Fortier's? No, he taught nothing like that. Dancing? Lord, help us! Dancing at Fortier's! He made us cut capers at the end of the birch. So you do not know how to dance? Still, you shall come along with me on Sunday and see Master Isidore Charny dance. He is the best dancer of all the gentlemen round here. Who is he? Owner of Borsienne Manor. He will dance with me next Sunday. 
Pitou's heart shrank without his knowing why. "'So you make yourself lovely to dance with him?' he inquired. "'With him and all the rest, you too, if you like to learn.' Next day he applied himself to the new accomplishment, and had to acknowledge that tuition is agreeable according to the tutor. In two hours he had a very good idea of the art. "'Ah! Oh, if you had taught me Latin, I don't believe I should have made so many mistakes,' he sighed. "'But then you would be a priest, and be shut up in an ugly old monastery where no women are allowed.' "'That's so. Well, I am not sorry I am not to be a priest.' At breakfast, Villet reminded his new man that the reading of the Gilbert pamphlet was to take place in the barn at ten a.m. next day. That was the hour for mass. Pitou objected. "'Just why I pitch on it, to test my lads,' replied the farmer. Billet detested religious leaders as the apostles of tyranny, and seized the opportunity of setting up one altar against another." his wife and daughter raising some remonstrance he said that church was good enough for woman folks no doubt and they might go and sleep away their time there but it suited men to hear stronger stuff or else the men should not work on his land billet was a despot in his house only catherine ever coped with him and she was hushed when he frowned but she thought to gain something for Petou on the occasion she pointed out that the doctrines might suffer by the mouthpiece, that the reader was too shabby for the phrases to make a mark. So Pitou was agreeably surprised when Sunday morning came round to see the tailor enter while he was ruminating how he could clean up and lay on a chair a coat and breeches of sky-blue cloth and a long waistcoat of white and pink stripes. At the same time, a housemaid came in to put on another chair opposite the first, a shirt and a neckcloth. If the former fitted, she was to make half a dozen. It was the day for surprises. Behind the two came the hatter who brought a three-cocked hat of the latest fashion, so full of style and elegance that nothing better was worn in Villers Cotterets. The only trouble was that the shoes were too small for Ange, the man had made them on the last of his son, who was four years the senior of Pitou. This superiority of our friend made him proud for a space, but it was spoiled by his fear that he would have to go to the ball in his old shoes, which would mar the new suit. This uneasiness was of short duration. A pair of shoes sent for Father Belay were brought at the same time, and they fitted Pitou a fact kept hidden from Belay, who might not like his new man literally stepping into his own shoes. When Pitou, dressed, hatted, shod, and his hair dressed, looked at himself in the mirror, he did not know himself. He grinned approvingly and said as he drew himself up to his full height, "'Fetch along your master Charnese now.' "'My eyes!' cried the farmer, admiring him as much as the women when he strutted into the main room you have turned out a strapper my lad i should like aunt angelique to see you thus togged out she would want you home again but papa she could not take him back could she as long as he is a minor 
unless she forfeited her right by driving him out but the five years are over said pitou quickly for which dr gilbert paid a thousand francs there is a man for you exclaimed belaine just think that i am always hearing such good deeds of his do you see it is life and death for him and he raised his hand to heaven he wanted me to learn a trade went on the youth quite right of him see how the best intentions are given a twist a thousand francs are left to fit a lad for the battle of life and they put him in a priest's school to make a psalm-singer of him. How much did your aunt give old Fortier? Nothing. Then she pocketed Master Gilbert's money? It is likely enough. Mark ye, Pitou, I have a bit of a hint to give you. When the old humbug of a saint cracks her whistle— look into the boxes demi-johns and old crocks for she has been hiding her savings but to business have you the gilbert book here in my pocket have you thought the matter over father said catherine good actions do not want any thought replied the farmer the doctor bade me have the book read and the good principles sown the book shall be read and the principles scattered but we can go to church ventured the maid timidly mother and you can go to the pew yes but we men have better to do come alone pitou my man pitou bowed to the ladies as well as the tight coat allowed and followed the farmer proud to be called a man the gathering in the barn was numerous belay was highly esteemed by his hired men and they did not mind his roaring at them as long as he boarded and lodged them bounteously so they had all hastened to come at his invitation besides at this period the strange fever ran through france felt when a nation is going to go to work new and strange words were current in mouths and never pronouncing them freedom independence emancipation were heard not only among the lower classes but from the nobility in the first place so that the popular voice was but their echo from the west came the light which illumined before it burnt the sun rose in the great republic of america which was to be in its round a vast conflagration for france by the beams of which frightened nations were to see freedom inscribed in letters of blood so political meetings were less rare than might be supposed apostles of an unknown deity sprang up from heaven knows where and went from town to town disseminating words of hope those at the head of the government found certain wheels clogged without understanding where the hindrance lay opposition was in all minds before it appeared in hands and limbs but it was present, sensible, and the more menacing as it was intangible like a spectre, and could be premised before it was grappled with. Twenty and more farmers, field hands and neighbors of Belay, were in the barn. 
when their friend walked in with Patou, all heads were uncovered and all hats waved at arm's length. It was plain that these men were willing to die at the master's call. The farmer explained that the book was by Dr. Gilbert, which the young man was about to read. The doctor was well known in the district where he owned much land, while Belay was his principal tenant. A cask was ready for the reader, who scrambled upon it and began his task. Common folks, I may almost say people in general, listen with the most attention to words they do not clearly understand. The full sense of the pamphlet escaped the keenest wits here, and Belay's as well, but in the midst of the cloudy phrases shone the words freedom, independence, and equality like lightnings in the dark, and that was enough for the applause to break forth. Hurrah for Dr. Gilbert! was shouted. When the book was read a third through, it was resolved to have the rest in two more sessions, next time on the Sunday coming, when all hands promised to attend. Pitou had read very well. Nothing succeeds like success. He took his share in the cheers for the language, and Belay himself felt some respect arise for the dismissed pupil of Father Fortier. One thing was lacking to Ange, that Catherine had not witnessed his oratorical triumph. But Belay hastened to impart his pleasure to his wife and daughter. Mother Belay said nothing, being a woman of narrow mind. "'I am afraid you will get into trouble,' sighed Catherine, smiling sadly. "'Pshaw! Playing the bird of ill omen again! Let me tell you that I like larks better than owls!' "'Father, I had warning that you were looked upon suspiciously.' "'Who said so?' "'A friend?' Advice ought to be thanked. Uh, tell me the friend's name. He ought to be well informed, as it is Viscount Isidore Charny. What makes that scented dandy meddle with such matters? Does he give me advice on the way I should think? Do I suggest how he could cut his coat? It seems to me that it would be only tarring him with the same brush. I am not telling you this to vex you, father, but the advice is given with good intention. I will give him a piece, and you can transmit it with my compliments. Let him and his upper class look to themselves. The National Assembly is going to give them a shaking up, and the question will be roughly handled of the royal pets and favorites. Warning to his brother George, the Count of Charny, who is one of the gang, and on very close terms with the Austrian leech. Father, you have more experience than we, and you can act as you please, returned the girl. Indeed, said Pitou in a low voice, why does this Charny fop shove in his oar anyhow? for he was filled with arrogance from his success. Catherine did not hear, or pretended not, and the subject was dropped. Patou thought the dinner lasted a long time, as he was in a hurry to go off with Catherine and show his finery at the rustic hall. 
Catherine looked charming. She was a pretty, black-eyed, but fair girl, slender and flexible as the willows shading the farm spring. She had tricked herself out with the natural daintiness, setting off all her advantages, and the little cap she had made for herself suited her wonderfully. Almost the first of the stray gentlemen who condescended to patronize the popular amusement was a young man whom Pitou guessed to be Isidore Charny. He was a handsome young blade, of twenty-three or so, graceful in every movement like those brought up in aristocratic education from the cradle. Besides, he was one of those who wear dress to the best harmony. On seeing his hands and feet, Pitou began to be less proud over nature's prodigality towards him in these respects. He looked down at his legs with the eye of the stag in the fable. He sighed when Catherine wished to know why he was so glum. But honest Pitou, after being forced to own the superiority of Charny as a beauty, had to do so as a dancer. Dancing was part of the training, then. Lao Tzu owed his fortune at court to his skill in a curanto in the royal quadrille. More than one other nobleman had won this way by the manner of treading a measure and arching the instep. The viscount was a model of grace and perfection. "'Lord a mercy!' sighed Pitou when Catherine returned to him. "'I shall never dare to dance with you after seeing Lord Charny at it.' Catherine did not answer, as she was too good to tell a lie. She stared at the speaker, for he was suddenly becoming a man. He could feel jealousy. She danced three or four times yet and after another round with Isidore Charny, she asked to be taken home. That was all she had come for, one might guess. "'What ails you?' she asked as her companion kept quiet. "'Why do you not speak to me?' "'Because I cannot talk like Viscount Charny,' was the other's reply. "'What can I say after all the fine things he spoke during the dances?' "'You are unfair, Ange, for we were talking about you. "'If your guardian does not turn up, we must find you a patron. "'Am I not good enough to keep the farm books?' sighed Pitou. "'On the contrary, with the education you have received, "'you are fitted for something better.' "'I do not know what I am coming to.' but I do not want to owe it to Viscount Charny. Why refuse his protection? His brother the Count is, they say, particularly in favor at the court, and he married a bosom friend of the Queen, Marie Antoinette. Lord Isidore tells me that he will get you a place in the Custom House, if you like. Much obliged, but, as I have already told you, I am content to stay as I am, if your father does not send me away why the devil should i broke in a rough voice which catherine started to recognize as her father's not a word about lord isidore whispered she to Batou. i i hardly know i kind of feared i was not s smart enough stammered ange when you can count like one o'clock and read to beat the schoolmaster who still believes himself a wise clerk? No, Pitou. The good God brings people to me, 
and once they are under my roof-tree they stick as long as he pleases with this assurance pitou returned to his new home he had experienced a great change he had lost trust in himself and so he slept badly he recalled gilbert's book it was principally against the privileged classes and their abuses and the cowardice of those who submitted to them pitou fancied he began to understand these matters better and he made up his mind to read more of the work on the morrow rising early he went down with it into the yard where he could have the light fall on the book through an open window with the additional advantage that he might see catherine through it she might be expected down at any moment but when he glanced up from his reading at the intervention of an opaque body between him and the light he was amazed at the disagreeable person who caused the eclipse this was a man of middle age longer and thinner than pitou clad in a coat as patched and threadbare as his own for pitou had resumed his old clothes for the working day while thrusting his head forward on a lank neck he read the book with as much curiosity as the other felt relish though it was upside down to him ange was greatly astonished a kind smile adorned the stranger's mouth in which a few snags stuck up a pair crossing another like boar's fangs the american edition said the man snuffling up his nose in octavo on the freedom of man and the independence of nations boston 1788 the two opened his eyes in proportion to the progress of the unknown reader so that when he had reached the end his eyes were at the utmost extent just so sir said pitou this is the treatise of dr gilbert's said the man in black yes sir rejoined the young man politely he rose as he had been taught that he must not sit in a superior's presence and to simple ange everybody was a superior in rising something fair and rosy attracted his attention at the window it was catherine come down at last who was making cautionary signs to him i do not want to be inquisitive sir but i should like to know whose book this is remarked the stranger pointing at the book without touching it as it was between pitou's hands pitou was going to say it belonged to billet but the girl motioned that he ought to lay claim to it himself so he majestically responded this book is mine the man in black had seen nothing but the book and its reader and heard but these words but he suspiciously glanced behind swift as a bird catherine had vanished your book yes do you want to read it avarus legendi libri or legendiae historiae hello you appear much above the condition your clothes beseem said the stranger non dives vestitus sed ingenio and it follows that i take you into custody me in custody gasped pitou at the summit of stupefaction at the order of the man in black two sergeants of the paris police seemed to rise up out of the ground let us draw up a report 
said the man, while one of the constables bound Petou's hands by a rope and took the book into his own possession, and the other secured the prisoner to a ring happening to be by the window. Petou was going to bellow, but the same person who had already so influenced him seemed to hint he should submit. He submitted with a docility enchanting the policeman, and the man in a black suit in particular. Hence, without any distrust, they walked into the farmhouse where the two policemen took seats at a table, while the other—we shall know what he was after presently. Scarcely had the trio gone in than Petou heard the voice, "'Hold up your hands!' He raised them and his head as well, and saw Catherine's pale and frightened face. In her hand she held a knife. Petou rose on tiptoe, and she cut the rope round his wrists. "'Take the knife,' she said, "'and cut yourself free from the ring-bolt.' Petou did not wait for twice telling, but found himself wholly free. "'Here is a double louis,' went on the girl. "'You have good legs. Make a way. Go to Paris and warn the doctor.' She could not conclude, for the constables appeared again as the coin fell at Petou's feet. He picked it up quickly. Indeed, the armed constables stood on the sill for an instant, astounded to see the man free whom they had left bound. But as at the dog's least stir, the hair bolts. At the first move of the police, Petou made a prodigious leap and was on the other side of the hedge. They uttered a yell which brought out the corporal, who held a little casket under the arm. He lost no time in speech-making, but darted after the escaped one. His men followed his example, but they were not able to jump the hedge and ditch like Petou, and were forced to go round about. But when they got over, they beheld the youth five hundred paces off on the meadow, tearing away directly to the woods a quarter of a league distant, which he would gain in a short time. He turned at this nick, and perceiving the enemy take up the chase, though more for the name of the thing than any hope of overtaking him, he doubled his speed and soon dashed out of sight in the thicket. He had the wind as well as the swiftness of the buck, and he ran for ten minutes as he might for an hour. But judging that he was out of danger by his instinct, he stopped to breathe, listen, and make sure that he was quite alone. It is incredible what a quantity of incidents have been crammed into three days, he mused. He looked alternately at his coin and the knife. I must find time to change the gold and give Miss Catherine a penny for the knife, for fear it will cut our friendship. Never mind, since she bade me to go to Paris, I shall go. On making out where he was, he struck a straight line over the heath to come out on the Paris high road. End of chapter 4 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 5 of Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Why the police agent came with the constables about six that morning, a police agent from the capital, accompanied by two inferior policemen, had arrived at Villers Cotteret, where they presented themselves to the police justice, and asked him to tell them where Farmer Billet dwelt. Five hundred paces from the farmhouse, the corporal, 
as the exempt's rank was in the semi-military organization of the police of the era, perceived a peasant working in the field, of whom he inquired about his master. The man pointed to a horseman a quarter of a league off. "'He won't be back till nine, he said. "'There he is inspecting the work. He comes in for breakfast, then.' "'If you want to please your master, run and tell him a gentleman from town is waiting to see him.' "'Do you mean Dr. Gilbert?' "'Run and tell him, all the same.' No sooner was he notified than Billet galloped home, but when he entered the room where he expected to see his landlord, under the canopy of the large fireplace, none were there but his wife, sitting in the middle plucking ducks with all the care such a task demands. Catherine was up in her room, preparing finery for Sunday, from the pleasure girls feel and getting ready for fun. "'Who asked for me?' demanded Belay, stopping on the threshold and looking round. "'Me!' replied a flute-like voice behind him. Turning, the yeoman beheld the police agent and his two myrmidons. "'How now? What do you want?' he snarled, making three steps backwards. "'Next to nothing, dear Master Belay,' replied the unctuous speaker. "'We have to make a search in your premises. That is all.' "'A search, eh?' replied Billet, glancing at his gun on hooks over the mantelpiece. "'Since we had a national assembly,' he said, "'I thought citizens were no longer exposed to proceedings which smack of another age and style of things. What do you want with a peaceable and loyal man?' Policemen are alike all the world over in their never-answering questions of their victims. Some bewail them while clapping on the iron cuffs, searching them or pinioning. They are the most dangerous, as they appear to be the best. The fellow who descended on Farmer Belay was of the hypocritical school, those who have a tear for those they overhaul, but they never let their hands be idle to dash away the tear. Uttering a sigh, this man waved his hand to his acolytes, who went up to Belay. He jumped back and reached out for his musket, but his hand was turned aside from the doubly dangerous weapon to him who made use of it, and her whose pair of slight hands was strong with terror and mighty with entreaty. It was Catherine, who had rushed to the spot in time to save her father from the crime of rebellion to justice. After this first outburst, Belay made no further resistance. The police agent ordered him to be locked up in one of the ground-floor rooms which he had noticed to be barred, though Billet, who had the grating done, had forgotten the precaution. Catherine was placed in a first-floor room, and Mrs. Billet was shoved into the kitchen as inoffensive. Master of the fort, the exempt, set to searching all the furniture. "'What are you doing?' roared Belay, who saw through the keyhole that his house was turned out of windows. "'Looking, as you see, for something we cannot find,' replied the police officer. "'But you may be robbers, burglars, scoundrels!' "'Oh, you wrong us, master,' rejoined the fellow through the door. "'We are honest folk like yourself, only—' We are in the wages of the king, and we have to obey his orders. 
"'His Majesty's orders?' repeated the farmer. "'King Louis the Sixteenth gives you orders to rummage my desk and turn my things upside down. When the famine was so dreadful last year that we thought of eating our horses, when the hail on the 13th of July two years back cut our wheat to chaff, his majesty never bothered about us. What has happened at my farm at present for him to concern himself, never having seen or known me?' "'You will please excuse me,' said the man, opening the door a little, and warily showing a search-warrant issued by the chief of police, but as usual commencing with, in the king's name. "'His majesty has heard about you, old fellow. Though he may not personally know you, do not kick at the honor he does you, and try to receive properly those whom he sends in his royal name.' With a polite bow and a friendly wink, the chief policeman slammed the door and recommenced the ferreting. Billet held his tongue and, with folded arms, trod the room. He felt he was in the men's power. The searching went on silently. These men seemed fallen from the skies. No one had seen them but the farmhand who had pointed out the way to the farmhouse. In the yard the watchdogs had not barked. The leader of the expedition must be a celebrated man in his line, and not making his first arrest. Billet heard his daughter wailing in the room overhead. He recalled her prophetic words, for he had no doubt that the investigation was caused by the doctor's book. Nine o'clock struck, and Billet could count his hired men returning for their morning meal from the fields. This made him comprehend that, in case of conflict— he could have numbers, if not law, on his side. This made the blood boil in his veins. He had not the temper to bear in action any longer, and grasping the door he gave it such a shaking by the handle that with such another he would send the lock flying. The police opened it at once and confronted the farmer, threatening and upright before the house turned inside out. "'But to make it short, what are you looking for?' roared the caged lion. "'Tell me, or by the Lord Harry of Navarre, I swear I'll thump it out of you!' The flocking in of the farm lads had not escaped the corporal's alert eye. He reckoned them, and was convinced that in case of a tussle he could not crow on the battlefield. With more honeyed politeness than before, he sneaked up to the speaker, and said as he bowed to the ground, "'I am going to tell you, Master Belay though it goes dead against the rules and regulations we are looking for a subversive publication and incendiary pamphlet put on the back list by the royal censors a book in the house of a farmer who cannot read what is there amazing in that when you are a friend of the author and he sent you a copy I am not the friend of Dr. Gilbert, but his humble servant, replied the other. To be his friend would be too great an honor for a poor farmer like me. This unreflected reply in which Billet betrayed himself, by confessing that he not only knew the author, which was natural being his landlord, but the book assured victory to the officer of the law. This man drew himself up to his full height. 
with his most benignant air and smiling as he tapped Belay on the shoulder, so that he seemed to cleave his head in twain, he said, "'You have let the cat out of the bag. "'You have been the first to name Gilbert, "'whose name we kept back out of discretion.' "'That's so,' muttered the farmer. "'Look here. I will not merely own up, "'but will you stop pulling things about "'if I tell you where the book is?' "'Why, certainly.' said the chief, making a sign to his associates. "'For the book is the object of the search. "'Only,' he added with a sly grin, "'don't allow you have one copy when you have a dozen.' "'I swear I have only the one.' "'We are obliged to get that down to a certainty "'by the most minute search, Master Billet.' have five minutes farther patience we are only poor servants of justice under orders from those above us and you will not oppose honourable men doing their duty for there are such in all walks of life he had found the flaw in the armour he knew how to talk billet over go on but be done quickly he said turning his back on them the man closed the door softly and still more quietly turned the key, which made Belay snap his fingers, sure that he could burst the door off its hinges if he had to do it. On his part the policeman waved his fellows to the work. All three in a trice went through the papers, books, and linen. Suddenly, at the bottom of an open clothes-press, they perceived a small oak casket clamped with iron. The corporal pounced on it as a vulture on its prey. By the mere view, by his scent, by the place where it was stored, he had divined what he sought, for he quickly hid the box under his tattered mantle and beckoned to his bravos that he had accomplished the errand. At that very moment Belay had come to the end of his patience. "'I tell you that you cannot find what you are looking for unless I tell you.' he called out. There is no need to make hay with my things. I am not a conspirator. Confound you! Come, get this into your noodles. Answer, or by all the blue moons I will go to Paris, and complain to the king, to the assembly, and to the people. At this time the king was still spoken of before the people. Yes, dear Master Belay, we hear you and we are ready to bow to your excellent reasons. Come, let us know where the book is, and as we are now convinced that you have only the single copy, we will seize that and get away. There it is, in a nutshell. Well, the book is in the hands of a lad, to whom I entrusted it this morning to carry it to a friend's, said Belay. "'What is the name of this honest lad?' queried the man in black coaxingly. "'Ange Pitou. He is a poor orphan whom I housed from charity, and who does not know the nature of the book.' "'I thank you, dear Master Belay,' said the corporal, throwing the linen into the hole in the wall and closing the lid. "'And where may this nice boy be, prithee?' 
I fancy I saw him as I came in, under the arbor by the Spanish climbing beans. Go and take the book away, but do not hurt him. Hurt? Oh, master, you do not know us to think we would hurt a fly. They advanced in the indicated direction, where they had the adventure with Petou already described. Catherine had heard enough in the words about the doctor, the book, and the search warrant to save the innocent holder of the treasonable pamphlet. Since the double errand of the police was fulfilled, the commander of the expedition was only too glad of the excuse to get far away. So he bounded on his men by his voice and example till they ran him into the woods. Then they came to a halt in the bushes, in the chase they were joined by two more policemen who had hidden on the farm with orders not to run up unless called. Faith, it is a good job the lad did not have the box instead of the book, said the organizer of the attack. We would be obliged to take post-horses to catch up with him. Hang me if he is a man at all so much as a deer. But you have the prize, eh, Master Wolfstep? said one of the subordinates. "'Certainly, comrade, for here it is,' answered the police agent, to whom the nickname had been given for his sidelong lope or wolfish tread in its lightness. "'Then we are entitled to the promised reward, eh?' "'Aye, and here you are,' said the captain of the squad, distributing gold pieces among them with no preference for those who had actively prosecuted the search and the others. "'Long live the chief!' called out the men. "'There is no harm in your cheering the chief,' said Wolfstep. "'But it is not he who cashes up this trip. It is some friend of his, lady or gentleman, who wants to keep in the background.' "'I'll wager that he or she wants that little box bad,' suggested one of the hirelings. "'Rigolet, my friend,' said the leader, "'I have always certified that you are a chap full of keenness. "'But while we wait for the gift to win its reward, we had better be on the move. "'That confounded countryman does not look easily cooled down, "'and when he perceives the casket is missing,' He may set his farm boys on our track, and they are poachers capable of keeling us over with a shot as surely as the best Swiss marksman in His Majesty's forces. This advice was that of the majority, for the five men kept on along the forest skirts out of sight till they reached the high road. This was no useless precaution, for Catherine had no sooner seen the party disappear in pursuit of Pitou then full of confidence in the last one's agility, who would lead them a pretty chase, she called on the farm men to open the door. They knew something unusual was going on, but not exactly what. They ran in to set her free, and she liberated her father. Belay seemed in a dream. Instead of rushing out of the room, he walked forth warily, and acted as if not liking to stay in any one place, and— yet hated to look on the furniture and cupboards disturbed by the posse. "'They have got the book anyway,' he questioned. "'I believe they took that dad, but not Pitou, who cut away. If they are sticking to him, they will all be over at Cayel or Valchienne by this time.' 
capital poor lad he owes all this harrying to me oh father do not bother about him but look to ourselves be easy about patou getting out of this scrape but what a state of disorder look at this mother they are low blackguards said mother billet they have not even respected my linen press what tumbled over the linen said billet springing towards the cavity which the corporal had carefully closed but into which opening it he plunged both arms deeply it is not possible what are you looking for father asked the girl as her father looked about him bewildered look look if you can see it anywhere the casket that is what the villains were raking for dr gilbert's casket inquired mrs billet who commonly let others do the talking and work in critical times yes that most precious casket responded the farmer thrusting his hands into his mop of hair you frighten me father said catherine wretch that i am cried the man in a rage and fool never to suspect that i never thought about the casket oh what will the doctor say what will he think that i am a betrayer a coward a worthless fellow oh heavens what was in it dad i don't know but i answered for it to the doctor on my life and i ought to have been killed defending it he made so threatening a gesture against himself that the women recoiled in terror my horse bring me my horse roared the madman i must let the doctor know he must be apprised i told pitou to do that good no what's the use a man afoot i must ride to paris did you not read in his letter that he was going there my horse and will you leave us in the midst of anguish i must my girl i must he said kissing catherine convulsively the doctor said if ever you lose that box or rather if it is stolen from you come to warn me the instant you perceive the loss billet wherever i am let nothing stop you not even the life of man lord what can be in it i don't know a bit but i do know that it was placed in my keeping and that i have let it be snatched away but here is my nag i shall learn where the father is by his son at the college kissing his wife and his daughter for the last time the farmer bestrode his steed and set off toward the city at full gallop end of chapter five recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter Six of Taking the Bastille by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the road, Pitou was spurred by the two most powerful emotions in the world, love and fear. 
Panic bade him take care of himself as he would be arrested and perhaps flogged. Love in Catherine's voice had said, Be off to Paris. These two stimulants led him to fly rather than run. Heaven is infallible as well as mighty. How useful were the long legs of Pitou, so ungraceful at a ball and streaking it over the country, as well as the knotty knees, although his heart, expanded by terror, beat three a second. My lord Charny, with his pretty feet and little knees and symmetrically placed calves, could not have dashed along at this gate. He had gone four leagues and a half in an hour, as much as is required of a good horse at the trot. He looked behind. Nothing on the road. He looked forward. Only a couple of women. Encouraged, he threw himself on the turf by the roadside and reposed. The sweet smell of the lucerne and marjoram did not make him forget Mistress Billet's mild-cured bacon and the pound and a half of bread which Catherine sliced off for him at every meal. All France lacked bread half as good as that, so dear that it originated the oft-repeated saying of Duchess Polignac that the poor hungry people ought to eat cake. Petou said that Catherine was the most generous creature in creation, and the Billet farm the most luxurious palace. He turned a dying eye, like the Israelites crossing the Jordan toward the east, where the Belay flesh-pots smoked. Sighing, but starting off anew, he went at a job pace for a couple of hours which brought him toward Demartin. Suddenly his expert ear, reliable as a Sioux Indian's, caught the ring of a horseshoe on the road. He had hardly concluded that the animal was coming at the gallop than he saw it appear on a hilltop four hundred paces off. Fear, which had for a space abandoned Pitou, seized him afresh, and restored him the use of those long, if unshapely, legs, with which he made such marvellous good time a couple of hours previously. Without reflecting, looking behind or trying to hide his fright, Ange cleared the ditch on one side and darted through the woods to Emonville. He did not know the place, but he spied some tall trees and reasoned that, if they were on the skirts of a forest, he was saved. This time he had to beat a horse. Pitou's feet had become wings. He went all the faster as, on glancing over his shoulder, he saw the horseman jump the hedge and ditch from the highway. He had no more doubts that the rider was after him, so that he not only doubled his pace, but he dreaded to lose anything by looking behind. But the animal, superior to the biped in running, gained on him, and Pitou heard the rider plainly calling him by name. Nearly overtaken, still he struggled till the cut of a whip crossed his legs, and a well-known voice thundered. "'Blame you, you idiot! Have you made a vow to founder Yonker?' The horse's name put an end to the fugitive's irresolution. "'Oh, I hear Master Billet. He groaned as he rolled over on his back, exhaustion and the lash having thrown him to the grass. Assured of the identity, he sat up, while the farmer reined in Yonker, streaming with white froth. "'Oh, dear master,' said Pitou, "'how kind of you to ride after me. I swear to you that I should come back to the farm late. I got to the end of the double louis Miss Catherine gave me, but since you have overtaken me, here is the gold, for it is yourn, and let us get back. A thousand devils, swore the yeoman. 
we have a lot to do at the farm i don't think where are the sleuth hounds sleuth hounds repeated Fitou, not understanding the nickname for what we call detective police officers though it had already entered into the language those sneaks in black continued billet if you can understand that better oh you bet that i did not amuse myself by waiting till they came up bravo dropped them eh flatter myself i did then if certain what did you keep on running for i thought you were their captain who had taken to horse to have me come come you are not such a dunderhead as i thought as the road is clear make an effort get up behind me on the crupper and let us hurry on to demartin i will change horses at neighbor le franc's for yonker is done up so we can push ahead for paris but i do not see what use i shall be there remonstrated Batou. but i think the other way you can serve me there for you have big fists and i hold it for a fact that they are going to fall to hitting out at one another in the city far from charmed by this prospect the lad was wavering when billet caught hold of him as of a sack of flour and slung him across the horse regaining the road by dint of spur cudgel and heel yonker was sent along at so fair a gait that they were in damartin in less than half an hour billet rode in by a lane not the main road to father lefranc's farm where he left his man and horse in the yard to run direct into the kitchen where the master going out was buttoning up his leggings quick quick old mate your best horse he hailed him before he recovered from his astonishment that's uh, maggie the good beast is just harnessed i was going out on her she'll do only i give fair warning that i shall break her down most likely what for i should like to know because i must be in paris this evening said the farmer making the masonic sign of pressing danger ride her to death then answered lefranc but give me yonker a bargain have a glass of wine two i have an honest lad with me who is tired with travelling this far give him some refreshment in ten minutes the gossips had put away a bottle and patou had swallowed a two-pound loaf and a hunk of bacon nearly all fat while he was eating the stableman a good sort of a soul rubbed him down with a wisp of hay as if he were a favorite horse thus feasted and massaged Pitou swallowed a glass of wine from a third bottle, emptied with so much velocity that the lad was lucky to get his share. Billet got upon Maggie, and Pitou forked himself on, though stiff as a pair of compasses. The good beast, tickled by the spur, trotted bravely under the double load toward town. Without ceasing to flick off the flies with her robust tail, the strong hairs lashing the dust off Pitou's back and stinging his thin calves, from which his stockings had run down. End of chapter six. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.
Chapter Seven of Taking the Bastille by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The First Blood. Night was thickening as the two travelers reached La Villette, a suburb of Paris. A great flame rose before them. Billet pointed out the ruddy glare. They are troops camping out," said Pitou. "Can't you see that? And they have lighted campfires. Here are some, so that there may naturally be more over yonder." Indeed, on attentively looking on the right, Father Billet saw black detachments marching noiselessly in the shadow of Saint Denis Plain, horse and foot. Their weapons glimmered in the pale, starry light. Accustomed to see in the dark from his night roaming in the woods, Pitou pointed out to his master cannon mired to the hubs in the swampy fields. Oh, ho, oh, muttered Billet, something new is going on here. Look at the sparks yonder. Make haste, my lad. Yes, it is a house fire. See the sparks fly, added the younger man. Maggie stopped. The rider jumped off upon the pavement, and, going up to a group of soldiers in blue and yellow uniforms, bivouacking under the roadside trees, asked, "'Comrades, can you tell me what is the matter in Paris?' The soldiers merely replied with some German. "'What the deuce do they say?' queried Belay of his brother peasant. "'All I can tell is that it is not Latin,' replied the youth, trembling greatly. I was a fool to apply to the Kaiserlichs. Kaiserlich, Imperial Austrian Grenadiers, muttered Belay, in his curiosity still standing in the middle of the road. Bas on Mitjovay, said an officer, stepping up, und bas pretty dam creek du. Excuse me, Captain, said the farmer, but I want to go into Paris. Vat next? As I see you are between me and the turnpike bars, I feared I would not be let go by. Ya, yeah, you gone by go. Remounting, Billet indeed got on, but it was only to run in among the Birchney hussars, swarming in La Villette. This time, as they were his own countrymen, he got along better. Please, what is the news from Paris? he asked. Why? It's your crazy Parisians who want their necker and fire their guns off at us as if we had anything to do with the matter. So replied a hussar. What? Necker? Have they lost him? Questioned Billet. Certainly. The king has turned him out of office. That great man turned out? Said the farmer, with the stupor of a priest who hears of a sacrilege. More than that, he is on the way to Brussels at present. Then it is a joke we shall hear some laughing over, cried Billet in a terrible voice, without thinking of the danger he ran in preaching insurrection amid twelve or fifteen thousand royalist sabres. Remounting Maggie, he drove her with cruel digs of the heel up to the bars. As he advanced, he saw the fire more plainly. A long column rose from the spot to the sky. It was the barrier that was burning. A howling and furious mob with women intermixed, 
yelling and capering as usual more excitedly than the men, fed the flames with pieces of the bars, the clerk's office, and the custom-house officer's property. On the road, Hungarian and German regiments looked on at the devastation, with their muskets grounded, without blinking. Billet did not let the rampart of flame stop him, but urged Maggie through smoke and fire. She bravely burst through the incandescent barrier, but on the other side was a compact crowd, stretching from the outer town to the heart of the city, some singing, some shouting, "'To arms!' Billet looked what he was, a good farmer coming to town on his business. Perhaps he roared, "'Make way there!' too roughly, but Pitou tempered it with so polite a "'Make way, if you please!' that one appeal corrected the other. Nobody had any interest in staying Billet and attending to his business, and they let him go through. Maggie had recovered her strength from the fire, having singed her hide, and all this unusual clamor worried her. Billet was obliged to hold her in now, in the fear of crushing the idlers clasped before the town gate, and the others who were as curiously running from the gates to the bars. Somehow or other they pushed on, till they reached the boulevard where they were forced to stop. A procession was marching from the Bastille to the royal furniture stores, the two stone knots binding the enclosure of Paris to its girth. This broad column followed a funeral barrow on which were placed two busts, one covered with crepe, the other with flowers. The one in mourning was Neckers, the prime minister and eminently the treasurer, dismissed but not disgraced. The flower-crowned bust was the Duke of Orleans, who had openly taken the Swiss financier's part. Billet, asking, learned that this was popular homage to the banker and his defender. The farmer was born in a country where the Orleans family had been venerated for a century and more. He belonged to the philosophical sect and consequently regarded Necker not only as a great minister, but an apostle of humanity. There was ample to fire him. He jumped off his horse without clearly knowing what he was about, and mingled with the throng, yelling, "'Long live the Duke of Orleans! Necker for ever!' Once a man mixes with a mob, his individual liberty disappears. He was the more easily carried on as he was at the head of the party. As they kept up the shouting, "'Long live Necker! No more foreign troops! Down with the outlandish cutthroats!' He added his lusty voice to the others. Any superiority is always appreciated by the masses. The shrill, weak voice of the Parisian spoilt by wine, bibbing, or want of proper food, was nowhere beside the countryman's fresh, full, and sonorous roar, so that without too much jostling, shoving, and knocking about, Billet finally reached the litter. In another ten minutes, one of the bearers, whose enthusiasm had been too great for his strength, gave up his place to him. Billet, you will observe, had got on. Only the propagator of Gilbert's doctrines a day before, he was now one of the instruments in the triumph of Necker and the Duke of Orleans. But he had hardly arrived at his post than he thought of Pitou and the borrowed horse. What had become of them? While nearing the litter, Belay looked and, through the flare of the torches accompanying the turnout, 
and by the lamps illumining all the house-windows, he beheld a kind of walking platform, formed of half a dozen men shouting and waving their arms. In the midst it was easy to discern Pitou and his long arms. He did what he could to defend Maggie, but in spite of all, the horse was stormed and was carrying all who could clamber on her back and hang onto the harness and her tail. In the enlarging darkness, she resembled an elephant loaded with hunters going for the tiger. Her vast neck had three or four fellows established on it, howling, Three cheers for Oleanne and Necker! Down with the foreigners! To which Petou answered, All right, but you will smother Maggie among ye. The intoxication was general. For an instant, Billet thought of carrying help to his friend and horse, but he reflected that he would probably lose the honor of bearing the litter forever if he gave it up. He bethought him also of the bargain made with Lefranc about swapping the horses, and anyhow, if the worst happened, he was rich enough to sacrifice the price of a horse on the altar of his country. Meanwhile, the procession made way, turning to the left, it went down Montmartre Street, to Victoire Place, reaching the Palais Royal. A great throng prevented its passing on. A number of men with green leaves stuck in their hats who were hallowing. To arms! Were these friends or foes? Why green cockades? Green being the color of Count Artois, the king's youngest brother? After a brief parley, all was explained. On hearing of Necker's removal from office, a young man had rushed out of the Foy coffee-house, jumped on a table in the Palais Royal Gardens, and flourishing a pistol, shouted, to arms all the loungers in the public strolling grounds took up the call all the foreign regiments in the french army were gathered round the capital it looked like an austrian invasion as the regimental names grated on french ears their utterance explained the fear in the masses the young man named them and said that the swiss troops camped in the champs elysees with four field pieces we're going to march into the city that night with prince lambasque dragoons to clear the way he proposed that the town defender should wear an emblem different from theirs and plucking a horse chestnut leaf stuck it in his hat all the beholders instantly imitated him so that the three thousand persons stripped the palais royal trees in a twinkling in the morning the young man's name was unknown but it was celebrated that night it was Camille de Moulin. Men recognized one another in the crowd, shook hands in token of brotherhood, and all joined in with the procession. At Richelieu Street corner, Billet looked back and saw the disappearance of Maggie. The increase of curiosity during the halt was such that more had been added to the poor animal's burden, and she had sunk under the surcharge. The farmer sighed. Then, collecting his powers, he called out to Pitou three times, like the ancient Romans, at the funeral of their king. He fancied a voice made reply out of the bowels of the earth, but it was drowned in the confused uproar, ascending to heaven partly cheers and partly threatening. Still the train proceeded. All the stores were closed, but all the windows were open, and thence fell encouragement on the marchers farther to frenzy them at vendome square an unforeseen obstacle checked the march like the logs rolling in a freshet which strike up against the piles of a bridge and rebound 
the leaders recoiled from a detachment of a royal german regiment these were dragoons who seeing the mob surge into the square from st honore street relaxed the reins of their chargers impatient at having been curbed since five o'clock and they dashed on the people at full speed the bearers of the litter received the first shock and were knocked down when it was overthrown a savoyard before billet was the first to rise he picked up the effigy of prince orleans and fixing it on the top of his walking-stick waved it above his head crying long live the duke of orleans whom he had never seen and hurrah for necker whom he did not know from adam billet was going to do the same with necker's bust but he was forestalled a young dandy in elegant attire had been watching it the easier for him than billet as he was not burdened with the barrow poles and he sprang for it the moment it reached the ground up it went on the point of a pike and set close to the other served as a rallying point for the scattered processionists suddenly a flash lit up the square at the same instant bang went the report and the bullets whistled something heavy struck billet in the forehead so that he fell believing that he was killed but as he did not lose his senses and felt no hurt except pain in the head he understood that at the worst he was merely wounded he slapped his hand to his brow and perceived it was but a bump there though his palm was smeared with blood the well-dressed stripling in front of the farmer had been shot in the breast it was he who was slain and his blood that had splashed billet the shock the latter felt was from necker's bust falling from want of a holder on the farmer's head he uttered a shout half rage half horror he sprang aloof from the youth writhing in the death gasp those around fell back in like manner and the yell which he gave repeated by the multitude was prolonged in funeral echoes to the last groups in st honore street this shout was a new proof of revolt a second volley was heard and deep gaps in the throng showed where the projectiles had passed what indignation inspired in billet and what he did in the gush of enthusiasm was to pick up the blood-spattered bust wave it over his head and cheer with his fine manly voice in protest at the risk of being killed like the patriotic fop dead at his feet but instantly a large and vigorous hand came down on the farmer's shoulder and so pressed him that he had to bow to the weight he tried to wrest himself from the grasp but another fist quite as strong and heavy fell on his other shoulder he turned growling to learn what kind of antagonist was this Pitu, he cried i am your man but stop a little and you will see why redoubling his efforts he brought the resisting man to his knees and flat on his face scarcely was this done than a second volley thundered the savoyard bearing the orleans bust came down in his turn hit by a ball in the thigh then they heard iron on the paving stones the dragoons charged for the second time one horse furious and shaking his mane like the steed in the apocalypse jumped over the unhappy savoyard who felt the chill of a lance piercing his chest as he fell on billet and patou the whirlwind rushed to the end of the street where it engulfed itself in terror and death nothing but corpses strewed the ground 
all fled by the adjacent streets the windows banged to a lugubrious silence succeeded the cheers and the roars of rage for an instant billet waited held by the prudent peasant then feeling that the danger went farther away he rose on one knee while the other like the hair in her form pricked up his ear only without raising his head i believe you are right master said the young man we have arrived while the soup is hot lend me a hand to help you out of this no the young exquisite is dead but the savoyard is only in a swoon i reckon help me get him on my back we cannot leave so plucky a fellow here to be butchered by these cursed troopers billet used language going straight to Pitou's heart he had no answer but to obey he took up the warm and bleeding body and loaded it like a bag of meal on to the robust farmer's back seeing st honor street looked clear and deserted he took that road to the palais royal with his man end of chapter 7 recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter 8 of taking the bastille by alexandre dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain Pitou discovers he is brave. The street appeared void and lonesome to Belay and his friend. Because the cavalry and chase of the Hayes had gone through the market and scattered after them in the side streets. But as the pair got nearer the Palais Royal, calling out in a hoarse voice by instinct, Revenge! Men began to appear in doorways, up cellars, out of alleys, from the carriage gateways mute and frightened at first but when assured that the horse soldiers had gone on forming the procession anew they repeated in a low tone but soon in a loud one revenge pitou marched behind the farmer carrying the savoyard's cap thus the mournful and ghastly cortege arrived on palais royal place where a concourse drunk with wrath were holding counsel and soliciting the French troops to help them against the foreign ones. "'What are these men in uniform?' inquired Billet in front of a company, standing under arms to bar the road from the palace main doors to Charter Street. "'The French guards,' answered several voices. "'Oh,' said the countryman, going nearer and showing the body of the Savoyard, which was lifeless now. Are you Frenchmen, and let us be murdered by foreigners? The guardsman shrank back a step involuntarily. Dead? uttered several. Dead. Murdered, along with lots more, by the royal German dragoons. Did you not hear the charging cry, the shots, the sword slashes, and the shrieks of the defenseless? Yes shouted two or three hundred voices. The people were cut down on the Vendôme Square. "'And so are you the people?' shouted Belay to the soldiers. "'It is cowardice of you to let your brothers be hacked to pieces.' "'Cowardice?' muttered some of the men in the ranks, threateningly. 
Yes. I said cowardice, and I say it again. Look here. Belay went on, taking three steps toward the point where the protest had risen. Perhaps you will shoot me down, to prove that you are not cowards? That is all very good, said a soldier. You are an honest, blunt fellow, my friend. But you are citizens, and you do not understand that soldiers are bound by orders. Do you mean to say, said Belay, that if you receive orders to fire on us, unarmed men, that you, the successors of the guards who at Fontenoy bade the English shoot first, would do that? I wager I would not said the soldier nor i nor i echoed several of his comrades then stop the others firing on us continued billet to let the royal germans cut our throats is tantamount to doing it yourselves the dragoons here come the dragoons yelled many at the same time as the gathering began to retire over the square to get away up Richelieu Street. At a distance, but approaching, they heard the clatter of heavy cavalry. "'To arms! To arms!' cried the runaways. "'Plague on you!' said Billet, throwing down the dead Savoyard. "'Lend us your guns if you will not use them!' "'Hold on until you see whether we won't use them!' said the soldier whom Belay had addressed, and as he snatched back the musket which the farmer had torn from his grip, "'Bite your cartridges, boys, and make the Austrians bite the dust if they interfere with these good fellows.' "'Ah, they shall see,' said the soldiers, carrying their hands from their cartridge boxes to their mouths. "'Thunder!' muttered Belay, stamping his foot why did i not bring my old duck gun along but one of these pesky austrians may be laid out and i can get his carbine in the meantime said a voice taking this gun it is ready loaded a stranger slipped a handsome fowling piece into billet's hands at this very instant the dragoons rushed into the square upsetting everybody they ran against the officer commanding the French guards came out three steps to the front. Eloi, you gentlemen of the heavy dragoons,' he called out. "'Halt! Please!' Whether the cavalry did not hear him, or did not want to hear him, or again were carried on by the impetus of a charge too violent to check, the Germans wheeled by a half-turn to the right and trampled down an old man and a woman who disappeared under the hoofs. "'Fire!' roared Billet. "'Why don't you fire?' He was near the officer, and the order might have been taken as coming from him. Anyway, the French guards carried their muskets to the shoulder and delivered a volley, which stopped the dragoons short. "'Here, gentlemen of the guards,' said a German officer, coming before the squadron thrown into disorder, do you know you are firing on us yes by heaven we know it and you shall know it too so billet retorted taking aim at the speaker and dropping him with the shot 
Thereupon the reserve rank of the guards made a discharge, and the Germans, seeing that they had trained soldiery to deal with, and not citizens who broke and fled at the first shot, pulled round and made off for Vendome Square in the midst of a formidable outburst of hoots and cheers of triumph, so that some horses broke loose and smashed their heads against the store-shutters. "'Hurrah for the French guards!' shouted the multitude. "'Hurrah for the guards of the country!' said Belay. "'Thank you,' said a soldier. "'We are given the right name and christened with fire.' "'I have been under fire, too,' said Pitou. "'And it is not as dreadful as I imagined it.' "'Now, who owns this gun?' queried Belay, examining the rifle, which was a costly one. "'My master,' answered the man who had lent him it, and who wore the Orléans livery. "'He thinks you use it too handsomely to have to return it.' "'Where is your master?' demanded the farmer. The servant pointed to a half-open blind, behind which the prince was watching what happened. "'Is he with us, then?' "'With heart and soul for the people,' replied the domestic. "'In that case, three cheers again for the Duke of Orléans,' said the farmer. "'Friends, the Duke of Orléans is on our side. Three cheers for the Duke!' He pointed upwards, and the prince showed himself for an instant, while he bowed three times to the shouting. Short as was the appearance, it lifted enthusiasm to the utmost. "'Break open the gunsmiths!' shouted a voice in the turbulence. "'Let us go to the invalid soldiers' hospital!' added some old veterans. General Sambroy has twenty thousand muskets there. And to the city hall, exclaimed others. Flacella, provost of the traitors, has the keys for the town guard's armory, and he must give them up. To the hall, bellowed a fraction of the assemblage. All flowed away in one or the other of the three directions called out. During this time, the dragoons had rallied around Baron Bezenval and Prince Lambesque on Louis the Fifteenth Square. Belay and Pitou were unaware of this, as they followed none of the parties and were left pretty well alone on Palais Royal Square. "'Well, where are we off to, dear Master Belay?' inquired Ange Pitou. "'I should like to follow the crowd,' replied the other. Not to the gunmakers, as I have a first-rate gun, but to the city hall or the military asylum. Still, as we came to town not to fight, but to learn Dr. Gilbert's address, I think we ought to go to Louis the Great's college, where his son is. When I shall have got through with the doctor, we can jump back into the chafing-dish." His eyes flashed lightnings. "'This course seems logical to me,' observed the young peasant. "'So take some weapons, gun or sword, from those beer-drinkers lying there,' said the farmer, pointing to half a dozen dragoons on the pave. "'And let us go to the college.' "'But these weapons are not mine, but the king's,' objected Pitou. 
they are the peoples corrected billet whereupon the other who knew the speaker was incapable of wronging a man to the extent of a mustard seat went up to the nearest corpse with multiplied caution and making sure he was lifeless he took the musket cartridge box and sabre he wanted to take his hamlet but had his doubts about the defensive armor being confiscatable like the offensive arms while deliberating he listened toward vendome square it seems to me that the royal germans are coming back again he said indeed a troop of horse was heard coming at the walking gate quick quick they are returning said Petou. billet looked around to see what means of resistance were offered but the place was almost deserted let us be off said he he went down Chartres street followed by Petou, who dragged the sabre after him by the scabbard straps not knowing how it ought to be hooked up till billet showed him you looked like a travelling tinker he said on louis fifteenth square they met the column started off to go over the river to the invalides but stopped short the bridges and the champs elysees were blocked try the tuileries garden bridge suggested billet it was quite a simple proposition the mob accepted it and followed billet but swords shining halfway to the gardens indicated that cavalry intercepted the march to that bridge these confounded dragoons are everywhere grumbled the farmer i believe we are caught said his friend nonsense five or six thousand men are to be caught and we are that strong the dragoons came forward slowly but it was an advance the royal street has left us said billet come this way ange but a line of soldiers shut this street up it looks as though you were right said the countryman alas sighed ange who had followed him like his shadow all his regret at not being wrong was shown in the single word by the tone it was spoken in by its clamor and motion the mob showed that it was no less sensible than he about the quandary all were in indeed by a skillful maneuver prince lambesque had encircled the rioters in a bow of iron the cord being represented by the tuileries garden wall hard to climb over and the drawbridge railing almost impossible to force billet judged that the position was bad still being a cool fellow full of resources when the emergency rose he looked round him seeing a pile of lumber by the riverside he said i have a notion Pitou, come along billet went up to a beam and took up one end making a nod to his followers as much as to say take your end of it Pitou was bent on helping his leader without questioning he had such trust in him that he would have gone down into shoal without grumbling on the length of the road or how the heat increased as they got on the pair returned to the waterside walk carrying a burden which half a dozen ordinary men would have sunk under strength is always an object of admiration to the crowd although very closely packed way was made for the peasants catching an idea of the work ahead some men walked before the joist carriers calling out clear the way there 
i say father belay are we to make a long job of this asked pitou when they had gone some thirty strides up to that gateway i can go it replied the young man laconically as he saw it was about as much farther and the crowd having an inkling of the plan cheered them besides some help to carry and the beam went on much more rapidly in five minutes they stood before the gates now then heave and all together said billet i understand said pitou this is what the ancient romans called a battering-ram the piece of timber set going was banged with a terrible blow against the gate-lock the military on guard within the gardens ran to check this inroad but at the third swing the gates yielded and the multitude flowed into the dark gap by the movement prince lambesque perceived that the netted rioters had found an outlet rage mastered him to see his prisoners escape he started his horse forward to learn what was the matter when his men thinking he was leading a charge followed him closely the horses were heated with their recent work and could not be restrained thirsting for retaliation for their check on palais royal square the men did not probably try hard to restrain them the prince seeing that it was impossible to stop the movement let himself be carried away and a shriek of frightful intensity from women and children rose to heaven as a claim for its vengeance a dreadful scene took place in the gloom the victims went mad with pain while they who charged were mad with fury a kind of defence was organised and chairs were flung at the cavalry struck on the head prince lambesque replied with a sword cut without thinking that he was striking the innocent for the guilty an old man was sent to the ground Belay saw this and he uttered a shout at the same time he took aim with his rifle and the prince would have been killed but for his horse having reared at the very instant it received the bullet in the neck and died instantly the fallen prince was believed slain and the dragoons rushed into the tuileries garden firing their pistols at the fugitives but they having plenty of room dodged behind the trees belay tranquilly reloaded his fowling piece you are right pitou we have come to town on time he said and i think i am becoming brave remarked pitou standing the pistol-fire of a horseman and spilling him out of the saddle with his musketoon it is not so hard as i thought that's so replied the other but useless bravery is bravado come along and don't let your sword trip you up wait for me father belay for i do not know paris like you do and without you i shall go astray come come said the farmer leading him along the river terrace until they had distanced the troops advancing by the quays as rapidly as they could to help the lambesque dragoons if needed at the end of the terrace he sat on the parapet and jumped down on the embankment running along the river pitou did the same end of chapter eight recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter Nine of Taking the Bastille by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. To the Bastille, 
once on the river edge the two countrymen spying arms glitter on the tuileries bridge in all probability not in friendly hands lay down in the grass beneath the trees and held a council the question was as laid down by the elder whether they ought to stay where they were in comparative safety or return into the action he waited for Petou's opinion Petou had grown in the farmer's estimation from the learning he had shown down in the country and the bravery he showed this evening Petou instinctively felt this but he was naturally so humble that he was only the more grateful to his friend master he said it is clear that you are braver and i less of a coward than was supposed by ourselves horace the poet a very different character from you flung down his weapons and took to his heels at the first conflict he was in this proves that i am more courageous than horace with my musket cartridge box and sword to show for it my conclusion is that the bravest man in the world may be killed by a bullet ergo as your design in quitting the farm was to come to paris on an important errand by all that is blue the casket you have hit it and for nothing else then if you are killed the business will not come off quite so when we shall have seen the doctor we will return to politics as a sacred duty come on then to the college where is sebastian gilbert said billet rising let us go added petou rising but reluctantly so soft was the grass besides good petou was sleepy if anything happens to me you must know what to say to dr gilbert in my stead but be mute ange was not saying anything for he was dozing if i should be mortally wounded you must go to the doctor and say bless me the boy's asleep indeed petou was snoring where he had sunk down again after all the college will be shut at this hour thought billet we had better take a rest dawn appeared when they had slept three hours but the day did not bring any change in the warlike aspect of paris only there were no soldiers to be seen the populace were everywhere they were armed with quickly made pikes guns of which most knew not the use and old-time weapons of which the bearers admired the ornamentation after the military had been withdrawn they had pillaged the royal storage magazines toward the city hall a crowd rolled a couple of small cannon at the cathedral and other places the general alarm was rung on the big bells out from between the flagstones so to say oozed the lowest of the low lesions of men and women if human they were pale haggard and ill-clad who had been yelling bread the night before but howled for weapons now nothing was more sinister than these spectres who had been stealing into the capital from all the country round during the last few months they slipped silently through the bars and installed themselves in the town like ghouls in a cemetery on this day all france represented in the capital by these starvelings called out to the king make us free 
while howling to heaven, feed us. Meanwhile, Villet and his pupil were proceeding to the college. On the way they saw the barricades growing up, with even children lending a hand, and the richest, like the poorest, contributing some object that would build the wall. Among the crowds Billet recognized one or two French guardsmen by their uniform, who were drilling squads and teaching the use of firearms, with the women and boys looking on. The college was insurrection also. The boys had driven out the masters, and were attacking the gates to get out with threats which terrified the tearful principal. "'Who of you is Sebastian Gilbert?' demanded Billet in his stentor's voice, after regarding the intestine war. "'I am he,' replied a boy of fifteen, of almost girlish beauty, who was helping three or four schoolfellows to bring up a ladder with which to scale the wall, as they could not force the lock. "'What do you want of me?' "'Are you going to take him away?' asked the head-teacher, alarmed by the sight of two armed men, one of whom, the speaker, was covered with blood. The boy was also looking at them without recognizing his foster-brother, who had grown out of all reason since he left him, and was farther disguised by the martial harness. "'Take away Dr. Gilbert's son into that infernal rumpus,' said the yeoman. "'Expose him to some ugly blow?' oh dear no you see you mad fellow sebastian that your friends do not approve of your attempt said the principal for these gentlemen do appear to be your friends aid me gentlemen and ye my children obey me when i command and entreat keep my mates if you will replied young gilbert with a firmness marvellous at his age but i must go forth I am not in the position of these. My father has been arrested and is imprisoned. He is in the tyrant's power. Yes, yes, shouted the boys. Sebastian is right. They have locked up his father, and as the people are opening the prisons, they must set his father free. Hey, have they arrested Dr. Gilbert? roared the farmer, shaking the gates. Death of my life! Little Catherine was right! Yes, they have taken away my father, continued little Gilbert, and that is why I want to get a gun and fight till I deliver my father. This plan was hailed by a hundred shrill voices. Yes, give us weapons, let us fight. At this, the mob outside the gates ran at them to give the scholars passage. The principal threw himself on his knees to supplicate both parties, crying, friends friends spare tender youth spare them of course we will said an old soldier they will be just the chaps to form a cadet corps with but they are a sacred deposit entrusted to me by their parents continued the head teacher i owe my life to them so in heaven's name do not take away my lambs hooting from both sides of the wall killed his doleful entreaties billet stepped forward and interposed between the soldiers and the mob and the schoolboys the old gentleman is right 
he said, the youngsters are a sacred trust. Let men go and fight and get knocked over. That is their duty. But children are the seed for the future. A disapproving murmur was heard. Who grumbles? demanded the farmer. I am sure it is not a father. Now I am a father. I have had two men killed in my arms this last night. It is their blood on my breast. See! He showed the stains to the assemblage with a grand gesture, electrifying all. Yesterday I was fighting at the Palais Royal and in the Tuileries' garden, resumed the farmer, and this lad fought by my side. But then he has no father or mother, and besides he is almost a man grown. Petu looked proud. I shall be fighting again today, but I do not want anybody to say the Parisians could not thrash the enemy until they brought the children to help them. The man's right, chorused the soldiers and women. No children in the fighting. Keep them in. Oh, thank you, sir, said the headmaster to Belay, trying to shake hands with him through the bars. And above all, take good care of Gilbert, said the latter. Keep me in. I tell you they shall not, cried the boy, livid with anger as he struggled in the grasp of the school servants. Let me go in, and I undertake to quiet him. The crowd divided and let the farmer and Pitou go into the schoolyard. Already three or four French guards and a dozen other soldiers instinctively stood sentry at the gates, and prevented the young insurgents from bolting out. Belay went straight up to Sebastian, and taking his fine white hands in his large, horny ones, said, Sebastian, do you not know Farmer Belay, who farms your father's own land? Yes, sir. I know you now. And this lad with me. It must be Ange Pitou. Pitou threw himself on the other's neck, blubbering with joy. If they have taken away your father, I will bring him back. I and the rest of us. Why not? Yesterday we had a turn-up with the Austrians, and we saw the flat of their backs. In token of which, here is a cartridge-box one of them has no farther use for, added Ange. Will we not liberate his father? cried Belay to the mob, who shouted an assent. But my father is in the Bastille, said Sebastian, shaking his head in melancholy. None can take the Bastille. What were you going to do, then, had you got out? I should have gone under the Bastille walls, and when my father was out walking on the ramparts, where they tell me the prisoners come for an airing, I should have shown myself to him. But if the sentinels shot you when they caught you making signs to a prisoner? I should have died under my father's eyes. Death of all the devils, you are a bad boy. 
to want to get killed under your father's eyes to make him die of grief in his cell when he has nobody but you to live for and one he loves so well plainly you have no good heart sebastian a bad heart whimpered petu as belay repulsed the boy while the boy was musing sadly the farmer admired the noble face white and pearly the fiery eye fine and ironical mouth eagle nose and vigorous chin revealing nobility of race and of spirit you say your father has been put up in the bastille why he inquired because he is a friend of washington and lafayette has fought with the sword for the independence of america and with the pen for france is known in the two worlds as a hater of tyranny because he has cursed this bastille where others are suffering and now he is there himself how long since he was arrested the moment he landed at haver at least at the bon, for he wrote me a letter from the port don't be cross my boy but let me have the points i swear to deliver your father from the bastille or leave my bones at the foot of its walls sebastian saw that the former spoke from the bottom of his heart and he replied he had time at libon to scribble these words in pencil in a book sebastian i am taken to the bastille patience hope and labor seventh july seventeen eighty nine p s i am arrested for liberty's cause i have a son at louis the great college paris the finder of this book is begged to bear this note on to my son sebastian gilbert in the name of humanity and the book inquired belay breathless with emotion he put a gold piece in the book tied a string round it and threw it out of the window the parish priest found it and picked out a sturdy fellow among his flock to whom he said leave twelve francs with your family who are without bread while the other twelve go carry this book to paris to a poor boy whose father has been taken away from him because he loves the people too well the young man got in yesterday at noon he handed me the book and thus i knew of the arrest good this makes me friends with the priests again exclaimed belay a pity they are not all built on this pattern what about the peasant he went back last evening hoping to carry his family the five francs he had saved on the journey how handsome of him said belay oh the people are good for something boy now you know all you promised if i told you to restore me my father i said i should or get killed now show me that book the boy drew from his pocket a copy of rousseau's social contract belay kissed where the doctor's hand had traced the appeal now be calm he said 
I am going to fetch your father from the Bastille. Madman, said the principal, grasping his hands, how will you get at a prisoner of state? By taking the Bastille, replied the farmer. Some guardsmen laughed, and the merriment became general. Hold on, said Billet, casting his blazing glance around him. What is this bogey's castle, anyhow? Only stones, said a soldier. And iron, said another. And fire, concluded a third. Mind you do not burn your fingers, my hero. Yes, he'll get burnt, cried the crowd. What? roared the peasant. Have you got no pickaxes, you Parisians? that you are afraid of stone walls no bullets for you to shrink from steel no powder when they fire on you you must be cowards then dastards machines fit for slavery a thousand demons is there no man with a heart who will come with me and Pitou to have a go at this bastille of the king I and Belay, farmer in the Ile-de-France section, and I am going to knock at that door. Come on! Belay had risen to the summit of sublime audacity. The inflamed and quivering multitude around him shouted, Down with the Bastille! Sebastian wished to cling to Belay, but he gently put him aside. Your father bade you hope, and have patience while you worked. Well, we are going to work, too. Only the other name for our work is slaying and destroying. The youth did not say a word, but hiding his face in his hands, he went off into spasms which compelled them to take him into the sick ward. On! To the Bastille! called out Belay. To the Bastille! echoed Pitou. To the Bastille, thundered three thousand persons, a cry which was to become that of the entire population of Paris. End of chapter 9. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.